Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 119 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Zach Diamond, and I'm a middle school digital music teacher in Washington, D.C., where, of course, I implement Modern Classrooms, and I'm also a mentor with MCP as well. For this episode, I am joined by an entire panel of guests who are colleagues at the International School of Kenya in Nairobi, Kenya. So let me introduce them one by one here, and then we'll, we'll get into the content. Up first, we've got Amy Hughes, who teaches eighth grade humanities and electives. Welcome, Amy, to the podcast. Thanks, Zach. Up next, we've got Matilda Achieng, a fourth grade co-teacher. Welcome, Matilda. Thank you, Zach. Next, we have Casey Blaschke, who also teaches fourth grade and co-teaches with Matilda. Welcome, Casey. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And finally, we have Brandy Reese, who also teaches humanity and co-teaches eighth grade with Amy. So welcome, Brandy. Thank you. Yeah, so this is an, an all-star cast here in a very large panel, um, <laughs> a big teaching team that we've got here. So, you know, Tony Rose is always talking about finding those teacher besties. I feel like uh, this might be the that manifested here on the podcast. We are going to talk about metacognition and reflection. And listeners may remember a couple of weeks ago, we had an episode on uh, metacognition and reflection in which I had a talk with Lydia Crush. And I'm going to link that episode in the show notes. I thought it was a very good episode. Uh, it was a little bit more philosophical. It was a little bit more sort of like high level, uh, looking at sort of the ideas behind why we do this metacognition and reflection with our students and why it's beneficial for them. Uh, in this episode, we are going to get very specific. Um, this teaching team has developed some actual very specific tools that they use uh, with their students, and I'm really excited to hear you all describe those. But before we start talking about that, I'd like to let you all introduce yourselves. So tell us, tell me and the listeners a little bit more about yourself and how you started your modern classrooms journey. Amy, why don't you go first? So I think I really like that you said um, that you have to have your allies and you have to have empowering partnerships, uh, when, especially when you're trying new things and, and, and more traditional settings. And I was working with Casey and, and strangely, Casey and I actually were Peace Corps volunteers 20 years ago in the Gambia. I'm just going to throw that in there because it's a cool fact. And then we ended up being together in Kenya all these years later, and we both have a passion for inclusive teaching. Um, and really, and Casey was at that time a learning support teacher in my classroom, and I had a um, a vision, having come from an early childhood background, to see more choice and and freedom in the middle school setting. Uh, but what I did see is, is I needed systems and I needed tools to to bring kids in to sort of be more give them more voice, and we we started developing a lot of tools together. Uh, but what I and then I stumbled into the modern classroom project just by actually Googling self-paced learning models, because I was like, I need something to help me have that feeling of an early childhood classroom where kids are moving and making choices. But but we needed systems where kids had organization and structure because they they're still learning what they need to do and how they know that they have to do it. And so I showed it to Casey and I said, I'm going to just take this course. And then I loved it so much that I, I signed up for the mentorship course. And pretty much we took our tools and we put it into the model and it just was such a great fit. And I'm still on that journey. 
That's fantastic. I love that. I love the idea of um, finding it through Google. That's a that's a relatively uncommon way of coming to the model, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, self-pacing. It's like, I, I love that Modern Classroom just gives us the model in which to let our students self-pace, something that we've always been looking for, right? Um, but uh, Matilda, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you started your Modern Classroom's journey? All right. I'm Miss Matilda, and um, I was brought up in this traditional way of teaching, like, you know, a teacher teaches in the classroom and no other uh, devices are being used. So in, for so many years, I've been doing this traditional method of teaching. And when Casey came aboard, he introduced uh, me to Modern Classroom. And then I took this course uh, on Modern Classroom, and um, I'm still learning about it. And um, I must say it, it's, uh, it's quite interesting because now I can never go back to the traditional ways of teaching. I'm so excited <laughs> yes. about this because right. of the self-pacing and the barrier minute and all that. It's really, really working for me. So, yeah. That's great. That's great. And you mentioned some of those tools that, uh, that you all are using, and we'll get into that uh, in a little bit. Casey, how about you? Well, um, gosh, I started this journey um, probably about five years ago um, with self-paced learning. So I started doing self-paced learning and created something called a car guide. Um, I was inspired by, uh, which means choose, act, reflect. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But I was inspired by a school, uh, international school doing something where they've collapsed time um, and let kids self-direct their learning and there's no walls between the classrooms. Um, and then from there, I created my own car guide. Um, so kids could start to choose how they were going to self-pace their learning and move at their own place pace. And Amy and I started working together and we, we did it. Um, I was co-teaching with her, um, humanities class. And so we launched it. It's kind of cool. Cause I first did it in a mixed age class setting. And then at a different school. And then at this school, I started with Amy in a humanities class with self-paced learning. Um, and then in learning support, my learning support block, I was using it. And then I took the Modern Classrooms mentor, um, summer mentorship program. And now I'm in my fourth context, which is in grade four um, with Matilda. And so it's been Super awesome, taking self-paced and building within it the blended learning and competency or mastery checks, as you call them, into kind of what we do. And it's been really amazing to um, work with everybody who's on this podcast because uh, we are kind of creating and designing together. Yeah, that's that's very cool. I love how Modern Classrooms has kind of infiltrated this this teaching team. Like, sounds like it kind of started with Amy and then just like spread and spread and spread. That's that's awesome. Um, all right. And last but of course not least, we have Brandy. Brandy, go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. My name's Brandy Reese. I've been teaching, I think it's something like 12 years now, but I'm new to middle school. So this is my second year in middle school. And I was lucky enough to be put on a team with Amy. And so Amy is really the one who introduced the Modern Classroom Project to me. And I was able to learn from her because she was already using it in her classroom and because we collaborate and our classrooms are aligned. And so I really got to learn from her and see it firsthand. And that coincided with taking the free course online as well. And then once we got a few months into the school year and I had more of an opportunity to see it in action and see the positive impact it was making on my class, I just 
really fell in love with it and started using self-paced learning and the modern classroom project approach in the classes that I taught, which Amy was not involved in as well. And I'm just continuing to find new ways to, yeah, change change classes and include it to empower students. Yeah, yeah, it is empowering. That's fantastic. Well, thank you all so much for, for that and for the context, understanding how this teaching team sort of came together and around modern classrooms in a, in a, in a way like, and how modern classrooms sort of spread through it. I, I really like hearing that. It's a very cool story. Um, before we really get into the specifics of metacognition and reflection, I'd like to start off by having you all sort of describe your school and, and the classes you teach so that I and the listeners can have a little bit of context for the metacognitive tools that you're going to talk about later in the episode. Um, and I'd like to start with Matilda, because my understanding, Matilda, is that you've been at ISK the longest, and maybe you can speak to how the school has changed and how the school has changed, particularly since the introduction of modern classrooms. Um, so why don't you go ahead and describe how that's looked at ISK, and then the rest of you can also describe your classes as well. But Matilda, why don't you introduce us to sort of your school? All right. Um, I've been in ISK for the last 22 years, and uh, it's been um, a very, it was a very small school of like the traditional ways of teaching. We had asked uh, like about a um, population of 500 uh, students. Um, so it grew to about a thousand uh, kids now and so diverse, like we have kids from all over the world and it's a very, very big diversity of kids in ISK. And uh, since the introduction of the modern um, education um, in the classrooms, uh, we've seen like uh, so many changes um, in the ways of teaching, in the ways of students learning. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And how, how have you seen it? I mean, are you the only teachers implementing modern classrooms at this school or are there others as well? I think it's just the four of us. But, but I do think um, we definitely have a lot of support from you know, like the, the administrators um, and, and Casey and I have done some trainings there. And also we've done uh, like teachers learn and share. And so there are definitely like, there's definitely interest and, and the more, and actually I have a new co-teacher now who's doing the model. So I think it's a very organic, like anytime anybody joins any of our little group, it's like, we're like this kind of amoeba that kind of takes you in and you keep going. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like you remember some of the PDs, we were talking to some of the uh, teachers and they were like, I, I told them about the self-pacing and they really wanted to try it out. I was just talking to Miss Casey with that and she was like, yeah, they really wanted to try it out, the self-pacing. Yeah. Yeah, that's similar to what's happened at my school as well. My school is also a very big school. We're like, uh, I don't know, around sixteen or 1,700 students. And uh, we have this relatively large contingent of modern classrooms teachers at my school but the language of, of modern classrooms has sort of infiltrated the school. You know, we talk about must-dos and aspire-to-dos and all that. Uh, kids are used to seeing pacing trackers, pacing guides, things like that. Um, even if teachers aren't explicitly teaching using modern classrooms, uh, it's still there. It's still, like, sort of present in the school. And it sounds like your school has a, a, a similar feeling about it. I think it's also important to know, and I don't know if you can use this as well, but ISK during COVID, one of the odd things that we faced as teachers and Casey and I had uh, a lot of success because we'd already implemented the model is a lot of our kids left the country and we're learning from remote places all over the world in different time zones. And um, that specific experience was so much easier because we had already implemented the model. So it was a weird thing that happened to our school during COVID. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of people have talked about how modern classrooms kind of saved them during COVID. And that is a particularly extreme situation, right? Where you have kids in different time zones. Like, wow, I mean, um, so much of that happened on Zoom for me, which was challenging. And modern classrooms made it easier by making those Zoom sessions kind of uh, less content focused and sort of more student support focused, right? But, you know, having the kids uh, all over the world, I don't even know if they could come to the Zoom sessions, right? Like having that to rely on. was was helpful but interesting okay so that's fantastic context for understanding your school um could you all talk just a little bit about your your actual specific classes and tell me kind of what you teach what your kids are doing uh what ages your students are things like that sort of give us a rundown of of your class let's go in reverse order brandy why don't you go first sure so this year i'm teaching one class of sixth grade humanities and one class of eighth grade humanities so that means reading writing social studies all integrated and combined. Okay. How about you, Casey? Uh, I'm teaching fourth grade this year. Uh, There's 20 children in our class and Matilda and I are co-teaching together and we teach all subjects. All subjects because it's fourth grade, right? This is like a yeah, yeah, elementary model. Okay. I mean, not all subjects. Obviously they go to specialists too, but right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Um, Matilda, I guess you're co-teachers, right? Yes, they must. Casey. Yeah. Okay. And Amy, how about you? So I teach uh, eighth grade humanities with Brandy. And just to add on to that, uh, something that would be familiar to your listeners is that we use the Common Course uh, ELA standards as well as the C3 social studies framework. Got it. Okay. So we are going to do something a little strange here. We're going to go to the break very early. And when we come back from our break, we are going to talk a lot about all of these metacognitive tools that you all have developed. Um, and I am very excited to hear more about them and I'll, and I'll be sharing them in the show notes as well. So listeners definitely stay tuned. We will be back in just a couple of minutes to hear all about the stuff that these fine folks are doing in their classrooms. Hey listeners, it's Tony Rose here with some announcements and reminders. If you and or your teacher bestie are interested in the virtual mentorship program, we do have scholarships available. Make sure to check out modernclassrooms.org slash scholarships. We have regional scholarships available for educators in Baltimore City, New York City, D.C., Chicago, Tulsa County, and the Twin Cities that include full tuition, a year of implementation support, and a $500 stipend for finishing the program. We are continuing our scholarship across the state of Indiana, which includes implementation support and 30 PGPs. Any educator in the state can enroll right now at modernclassrooms.org slash Indiana. We also have partnerships with districts across the country who are paying for educators to go through our training. As for professional learning, make sure to check out our webinars page on modernclassrooms.org slash webinars. And to connect with our community, join our Twitter chat on the first Wednesday of the month and our virtual meetup on the second Wednesday of the month. Both are at 7 p.m. Eastern time, and we hope to connect with you outside of our podcast. All right, folks, we're back with Amy, Matilda, Casey, and Brandy, this all-star cast of uh, co-teachers teaching team here at International School of Kenya. We are going to start diving into some of the tools that you all have developed. And when I say tools that you have developed, I mean, like, these things are legitimately, uh, like, they're official. Uh, I've written them down in the show notes here with, like, capital letters. And so... um, (laughs) I'm, I'm really, it's like you should write a book about them almost. They, they're like resources that teachers can actually use. So mm-hmm. I'm really, really excited to get into this here, you know, what they are and also how you use them in your classroom. So um, there's seven that I have here on the list and we're going to just go down the list. Um, I guess you mentioned that they might sort of 
bleed into one another a little bit, but listeners, if I hope that you're as excited as I am. You can't see the list yet, but this is going to be really interesting. So let's talk about these metacognitive tools that you all have developed for your students. And let's start with the car guide. I think, Casey, you mentioned this at the beginning. Can you tell us more about the car guide? Sure. Um, so the car guide is... Uh, it's, it's basically kind of the same thing as what you would call a tracker for the modern classrooms project. And, um, it lists like what we're going to do for the week. Um, and all of the learning opportunities are broken down into smaller steps for the children. So it's kind of like this one pager, um, and students can choose which, which one they want to work on and, um, kind of move along at their own pace before they get started. We, um, at the beginning of the week, we'll tune in to, uh, what's on the car guide. So it's pretty clear and students, when they start to, uh, work on their own in independent time, they'll choose some success strategies. So they have to reflect on what tools and strategies that they'll use to be successful for the day. Things like making sure I have noise canceling headphones, using flexible seating, working in 20 minute work bursts, um, making sure that I reflect um, after I take a brain break, et cetera. Um, yeah. And so after, um, if, if for instance, they do a work burst or at the end of the day, um, they choose, uh, they have a focus for the day and then they have a pause, which is on the back and they reflect on the, on a one through four scale for their productivity. Um, and then they also kind of rate their effort. It's just a tick box and they explain why they gave themselves that rating. And if they gave themselves like a lower score than the top one, they reflect on how they could improve their rating, um, for the next work burst. And yeah, what I kind of love about the modern classroom projects is, it's kind of an invitation to be coached in a framework that you can imitate. And then as you get to kind of know the framework, you can integrate that framework into your practice um, and then kind of go at it with a designer's mindset and adapt it to your context. Um, that's unique to your learning community. And that's kind of how the car guide has emerged. It's barely been built through a whole system of reflecting with students on what's working and what's not and being like very solutionary focused. And so the car guide that we currently have, Matilda and I um, have built with the students, uh, especially last year. And we've made tweaks even this year based on their feedback. Um, and so it's pretty cool because we all know that all of our learning communities are very unique and they're complex. Um, and each cohort that we have or each grade level, whatever context is different every year, you have to adjust, pivot, reflect, and kind of repeat. And so one of another tool that we have is this Mario minute, um, which Matilda, would you like to explain what that is? Yes. Um, the Mario Minute um, is a piece of paper that we normally give them at the end of the day. They can do it electronically. So the students give us feedback at the end of the day on how the class was, how helpful was the class. And then uh, we adjust our classes according to their feedback that they give us at the end of the day. So they're kind of reflect reflecting like as they're working, um, they're taking these pauses, and then at the end, they're, again, reflecting not only on themselves, but also on us. And so we've made so many adjustments with that. And we also do a learning intention. Um, do you want to explain that one, Matilda? 
Oh, yes. Um, the daily learning intention, uh, we give them um, in the morning when they come in. And then they just tell us like what their learning intentions will be for the day. Some of them will say like um, choosing a preferential seating or listening to the teacher or um, asking questions. And then they kind of will tell us how their moods are in that morning, if they're feeling sad or if they're feeling happy or excited. And then uh, they just leave like a small notes at the, at the bottom of the sheet telling us if something is happening to them, then we can go back and just um, check on them as they write on the daily intentions that morning. So so that daily intention is sort of like a do now for the day, right? Yes. Yeah, and it's it's really asset-based. So all we, we also project like these are the uh, skills we're going to work on today. So sometimes it's a collaboration skill and we'll give them like um, three choices and they could choose outside of those choices just so that they write something and also think about something. And then we usually have a second skill up, which is could be self-manager or um, researcher, whatever skill that we're honing in on uh, specifically for that day. Yes, those are the, the IB, the MYP ATL skills, right? Yeah. Recognize that. Um, so that sounds like it's an elementary thing. Amy and Brandy, I'm curious if you have something similar for your like sort of more, uh, I guess, middle school content specific classes. Um, yeah, so if I could just jump in first off, I just want to say the reason why I love this team so much is because just listening now to Casey, I'm like, oh, I love that idea. I'm going to try that and on Monday. So anyway, <laughs> um, you know, it's and that's why this team is so awesome, because we we if you were to go into Casey's fourth grade versus my eighth grade versus uh, Brandy's sixth grade, you see these little echoes that we have all around and we just keep growing in this way. I'll jump back to the car guide. Um, and I learned that tool. Um, and Casey mentioned it means choose, act, reflect. That's what CAR stands for. And I just loved that tool. I had tried um, putting in straight into Google Classroom in eighth grade. Now that's what I'm talking about is eighth grade humanities. And I found that kids had to like search around for things. And it was the cognitive load of looking for what you had to do was, was taking so much of their energy that they weren't actually digging into the learning. So the CAR guide became this one page go-to spot. And the way it looks like in an eighth grade class is we link in the learning opportunity. That's the language we use for each um, learning. It's more than an activity. It's, it's a, it is a full exp exploration and then kind of uh, ki kids will synthesize and do something with that learning. And so we actually link in HyperDocs and we have uh, Brandy and I and our co-teacher um, who's not with us today have created one hyperdoc model that we use. And so kids see it no matter what class they're in. And we have it in an explore, explain, apply format. And so when they come into, so our uh, what we've done in our eighth grade team is we actually are team teaching. So we have all of our kids, which could, I think, Brandy, be about 45 kids, right? Um, mm -hmm. Come in together in a massive, huge classroom that we've taken a wall out of. And, uh, and, and we begin each lesson looking at the car guide. And for us, we pace for the week generally, but sometimes if it's a project that we're working on, that can stretch based on what kids are doing. And our, I think our metacognitive tool is the collaboration bank where kids will go in and they'll put a color based on it. it also acts as a pacing tracker but we frame it more as a collaborative bank where kids will go in and see where other people are and be able to work together but we also get to see where they are in the learning brandy is there anything i'm leaving out 
Well, I think going back to the car guide and one thing that I love about the car guide is in, in the modern classroom project, you often think about obviously backward planning, which we do anyway, but then thinking of a unit a unit pacing tracker is a pretty monumental task, even if you know, you know, where you're headed. And so one thing I love as a teacher about the car guide is it just allows us to chunk the weeks. So we obviously know where we're going, but it it makes it a little more manageable to keep up with the self-pacing model, especially when you're creating new content. And I think it makes it more manageable sometimes for students as well, just because they can see all of the goals for the week laid out for them and it and it having it in those bite-sized chunks i think helps it to to feel more manageable and the collab bank yeah i think i've so i teach 6th grade and 8th grade so my car guides look similar but not exactly the same for instance i found in my 6th grade class i'll pull in the similar idea that Casey and Matilda use of setting intentions to make sure we're focused and using our time efficiently in class. And then I've also added on my car guide, not just the link to the hyperdoc for the learning opportunity, but the voice level expectation of that in the classroom. Hmm. And, and for my collaborative banks, I use them in a very similar way with the eighth graders. They have the digital version with the sixth graders, I actually asked them for feedback. We tried a few different models and I asked them for feedback and they prefer the paper version. So I have basically uh, one of my boards is devoted to a collaborative bank and it's broken down to look like um, each section of the hyperdoc, as Amy was saying, the explore, explain, apply, and then they move their sticky note. And that's been really helpful for them because we do genuinely use it as a way to build collaborative groups. And so when they can see that their sticky note is on the same piece of paper as someone else, it makes it a lot easier. Whereas the the, the digital version just for the yeah. sixth graders was kind of hard to keep track of. And they were a little bit more shy going up and asking a friend, you know, where you add exactly, can we pair up? And so I think, yeah, just finding different ways to tweak these systems to work for your group. And I, I think tweak, tweak these systems, but tweak them always with the student voice in mind. They are the ones who co-design that structure and the learning with us, which is why I think they turn out so great because mm -hmm. kids' voices are present there. Yeah. I, okay. So I guess to sort of put this in the language of modern classrooms, it sounds like the car guide is sort of a, a highly scaffolded version of what we would call an individual tracker. Is, am I understanding that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, but also maybe blended even with being its own, it sounds kind of weird, but being its own LMS. Yeah, I was I was going to say that. It sounds almost like you're sort of building an LMS that is uh, sort of custom made to be a tracker and also have checkpoints for reflection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. Okay, so how does that then interface with the public tracker where Brandy, where you were saying the students move their stickies along, like how do, how does that, how do they work together? So essentially as they're going through each learning opportunity, they're just keeping that public facing tracker, which we call the collaborative bank. They're just keeping that up to date, which obviously shows us the progress of individual students. And we know who we might need to go support and, but as well, it allows them to build those groups. So for instance, a hyperdoc, 
the beginning of the hyperdoc in the explore section, it might have students working individually, but then when they get towards the end of the lesson and they're expected to apply their learning, we'll often have them working in collaborative groups and it can really be vice versa, but it allows them to find other students who are at the same spot um, on the car on the car guide so they can build those groups and, and work together. Awesome. Yeah. And and I also I want to circle back to highlight something else that you said. I think it was Amy with the the feedback from students, almost sort of like reflection on reflection on the reflection activities. But that's so important, too. I love that. Like, it's not just some random piece of paper my teacher's giving me that I have to fill out. Right. For no reason. It's like I asked to be asked these questions, you know, like these are the questions that I feel like answering will actually be beneficial to me. And that makes it authentic for them. Yeah, and I think what that's when that's what we talk about when we talk about that metacognitive 360 is that we look at metacognition not just as the student's job. We know that we want them to to you know to learn about their learning and then learn how they learn that learning. But we also need to do that with our teaching. We need to learn from the students what teaching is impacting them. And I think once students get that idea, so in 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 the eighth grade iteration of the daily um, check-ins that. Casey and Matilda were talking about, we, we tend to do those in the end of the week after at, we call it feedback, Friday feedback. And at first kids do think of it as like, oh, yet another reflection. And they kind of, but then they, a lot of the times we start off with actually making it anonymous. So they, we say, you can say what you want and, you know, please, you know, don't in- insult our outfits or anything. However, you know, you can <laughs> tell us honestly what it is you would like, uh, you know, you like, like us to consider. And kids in eighth grade are so floored by that. They're not used to being asked about their learning, you know, I, I, I find. And so when, and they're not used to seeing it in action the very next Monday. And so what we try to do is we collate all the, all the feedback they gave us, the trends that we see. And we answer, we usually have like three questions in a feedback form that are like, you know, what was a challenging thing for you this week? What was a success area? And is there any, and we always end with anything else. And the anything else at first is no, no, no. Then they start, you know, when they start seeing that we're listening, you, it's amazing the, the feedback they give us. Yeah. They're really honest. Yeah. But I think like Amy says, it's, it's the fact that we let them give that feedback and be really honest. And then we report back on it that following Monday and we say, okay, this is what you said, but because you said that these are the specific actions we're taking this week to you know, modify the car guide, modify a lesson. So it's easier to understand, like we take their opinions and put them straight into action the following week. And they, they thrive on that. They crave it. In fact, not too long ago, I'm not, I can't remember what happened, but I didn't report back that Monday to my sixth grade class. And as soon as I came back um, to teach again, they were like, so when are you giving us the feedback? We really want to know, you know, what's the feed- what was the consensus for the feedback and what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's really important. You know, it's not enough to just show them that you're reading the responses. You have to actually act on them. Well, actually, maybe it is enough to show them that you're reading the responses, right? Because they, they're surprised by that too, honestly. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, it's something that I think is very uh, validating for them to just be like, my teacher read this, they care, you know? But then coming back just the next day or, or the next, you know, after the weekend on Monday and putting it into practice and saying, look, you said this. So today we're going to do this. It's like your voice. Uh, I don't know how to say it without sounding cliche, but your voice matters. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. like we say that all the time, but you're actually putting your, I guess your money where your mouth is and, and changing your class based on their feedback day to day. How, how cool, how cool. Um, 
Okay, so um, this discussion all sort of came about as for me asking you about the car guide, but you mentioned a bunch of other things in the list of tools here. So let's let's go down this list of tools and talk about others besides just the car guide. So the Mario Minute is next on the list. And Matilda, you mentioned this. And I guess the question that I had as you were talking about the Mario Minute is when that happens in class. And also, I'd be curious to hear... Uh, well, from Matilda and Casey, because you mentioned it, but also from Amy and Brandy in the middle school setting, when that sort of like uh, the Mario Minute or those reflective check-ins happen in class. I know you mentioned it happens on Fridays for you, Amy, um, as opposed to daily. But yeah, talk about sort of like how the Mario Minute gets implemented, when it gets implemented in the day or in the week. All right. Casey and I normally give the Mario Minute like at the end of the day. They have it on paper and they also have it um, uh, online. Google form. Yeah, the Google form. They rate us and then they give us feedback on how the class was, um, how helpful was the, cl- was the class, um, like what was the most important thing you learned today, how would we, would we improve um, the class, what would you want us, the teachers to do for you. And actually, we normally go through them with Miss Casey like every single day and then the following day, so that they know that you've read them, we actually tell them what they, the feedback that they gave to us. Okay, so this is actually where that feedback is is happening, like where the rubber yeah. meets the road with the feedback. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I understand. And um, Amy and Brandy, do you use the Mario Minute as well, or is there a sort of a different tool that you use in the middle school setting? So in sixth grade, I do use the Mario Minute, and I think it's just because it really helps them zoom in on how they can use their time most effectively and focus each day. And at the start of the school year, I used it more regularly. Now I've phased it out because they've kind of gotten into the habit of thinking how to focus and use their time wisely and what strategies are helpful. So we've actually, and this also was some of their feedback is that they had caught on to the idea of it and we're learning to kind of internalize that. And so we typically do it Monday or Tuesday at the beginning of the week. And then I will give them a reminder about using those strategies the rest of the week. But based on their feedback, they feel like starting off the week with that uh, allows them to, to just, yeah, like zoom in on what they need to focus on and how they can work best. And they don't need to do that daily. Yeah, but I, I like the idea of removing the scaffold slowly because you're teaching them the thinking routine, right? You're teaching them how to give feedback, how to reflect, how to determine what's good and what's not good for them. And uh, so you can phase it out slowly. Exactly. And I, and I think that's a really important point that you just made, Zach, that if you never want all of these tools to feel like, like doing your taxes for the kids, you know, like just fill this out, <laughs> yes. fill this out. You want them to feel like these are authentic and are helping them learn. And so another um, iteration on the Mario Minute that I have used and I, I like to use in projects is, is uh, like, a, I call it the roadmap because it has a corny connection to the car guide. But the, kid, <laughs> the kids have it, you know, we only get them an hour. We don't have them all day long. So we have them only, you know, for a, about you know, 70 minutes, a 70 minute block. And so we, so when they come in, especially during projects and uh, you really need to chunk out expectations because projects can become uh, a cognitive overload. I think um, there's actually a cool John Spencer podcast about that right now. And if you have that, um, a roadmap, the kids come in and they say, here's what I'm going to work on my project today. And then they, they fit, they, they, end the day by saying, here's what I need to do tomorrow. And so then they go off to 70 different activities in the day. When they come back, usually 
you can't expect a kid to pull from their mind what they have to do. And if they've written it down in front of them, they've got it already. And then, you know, they know how they're going to work and what choice that they're going to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the bottom of that, um, of that roadmap, uh, I got this idea from Casey. We, 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 we devised a list of, of actions that work for students in the class. And some kids need to be at a table and some kids need to be in a beanbag. And so they'll circle the choices they're going to make that day for what they need to do. And so there's just that thinking about how you need to learn before you begin your learning. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, I mean, Amy, you mentioned something that was a question that I had in, in my head, which is like, I guess the, the Mario Minute in the context of an elementary class has a much broader scope, right? Like they're thinking about a whole entire day and a lot happens in a day, whereas in a single period of a middle school class, it's much more concentrated, right? Like it's a it's a much smaller scope um, and it's a much more limited set of things to reflect on, you know? So um, I was going to ask you sort of if there's a modified version of that. I do feel like, and also like if you teach multiple periods throughout the day, you'd have like, you know, 200 Mario minutes to review, which might get overwhelming as opposed to the smaller number that I'm sure uh, Matilda and Casey have in their one elementary class. I might be wrong about that, but how, how can you talk about that a little bit? Like how that's different for the smaller sort of scope of a single humanities period, as opposed to the, the sort of broader scope of an elementary class? I do think you're right. And so one of the, you know, just to circle back to modern classrooms project, one of the things I love about it is that it helps us hack the timetable. Because time is is often a, a very huge constraint, and it's the number one complaint you hear from teachers when trying to tr- try new ideas and approaches to learning. And so I think Modern Classroom Projects gives you that hack to how to open up the timetable because you're allowing the students to choose just within that block that they get to work on. Yes, it's your unit. Yes, it's your discipline. But it's their work and it's their choice within that time. So I think that if, you know, if you, that time you want to honor for them. And so that's why it does seem to work better uh, to be on a, a weekly thing for eighth graders, because like Brandy's saying in sixth grade, that developmental age is so different in eighth grade, they're ready. Their cognitive, you know, growth has, has been where they're actually, they, they're, they're working memories a little stronger. They can, you know, self-manage a bit better. And so you want to make sure that it, you're adjusting that tool to fit best. And for, for our group, it usually is better on a Friday. Got it. The two reflective tools that we have have different purposes. So like a pause and a car guide is for the learner to reflect on their learning. And the end of the day reflection is for them to reflect on our teaching. And so that's mm-hmm. why it's so informative yeah. and powerful. Mm-hmm. It's because... Not only, and and for me, the end of the day reflection, and there are some days we don't get to do it because, you know, time just slips, but we try really, really hard to do it daily because um, it informs our practice. So we expect our um, learners and our communities to reflect, but we're also, Matilda and I are reflecting constantly. And one of the best reflection tools that we have as far as our practice is is the the end of the day Mario minute because they're rating the class and they're telling us why it was helpful or not and then we pivot mm-hmm. again it goes back to that whole idea of um, you know making your adjustments reflecting pivoting and then whatever that context is um, is being responsive to it 
And do you find that the students are sort of granular on the level of subject, or are they just reflecting on the whole day? Because obviously, in the case of the middle school humanities class, we're talking about middle school humanities. It's just one class, right? But in elementary, will they say like, you know, the reading block was really good today, or the math block was a struggle today, or something like that? Yeah, no, they're they're reflecting on our community. Like, we don't really mm-hmm. kind of we we have integrated units. Sure, sometimes math looks like math is math, or whatever. It depends on the unit, right? But it's the community. What worked in our learning community? It was too loud today. Some more times we're told we need to use our flexible spaces better. You know, that kind of stuff. And then the next morning when we gather as a community for our, our morning meeting, we can discuss um, things that have popped up and then we can make adjustments and we can set our learning intentions again. Yeah. Yesterday we didn't use our flexible seats as um, respectfully, like how can we improve that today? You know, so it's, it's grounding in um, in the community, and and we've had we do random seats, and um, a student had suggested let's do it every time we come back into the class after break and lunch. So there's no ownership of um, seats or materials, and that came from the students, and so we did it, and um, it was great. We've since kind of stepped back, and so now we only do it once a day. So every day their seats change, um, but it was really great. Like to try out something that was suggested by a student. And that was, again, through the the reflection piece. Yeah, um, just like what Casey has said, and um, with the random sittings, by the end of the day, when we do like um, shout outs, the kids always say how important it was for them to just uh, change seats because uh, either way they make new friends or they collaborated well with others. So it's always a very good feedback when we do the uh, check-in circle at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Something that I talked about with Lydia on the previous episode of Metacognitive uh, Reflection is that it's important to not focus all this reflection on what was wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like yeah. when students can say like, Hey, this was really cool. You know, mm-hmm. they, they came up with it and they enjoyed it. I think that's, that's like, it's validating obviously for the teacher to know that, that, that yeah. they did something well, but it's nice to also consider like, Hey, this worked. So we can take this not only learn from mistakes, which is obviously also important, but like take that into the future as well. Like this, this works. I can try this again. And I know it has gone well. I think that that just one more point on that. And I think that's why it's really important to focus on the kinds of questions that you ask that you definitely really make sure that, um, that you always are pitching things in a suggested way. Like, what do you suggest? And kids have amazing ideas and, and, you know, and, and I think I love how Casey said that, we include questions about learning and then we include the questions about our teaching and that those both have to be there for that 360 idea. Yeah. I really like that. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask students what, how to improve, right? What could be better? Um, But you're right. It's about the framing, right? How do we ask? And I'm really, I'm really liking how this reflection is all sort of action oriented, like solutions oriented. You know, Uh, I think one of you actually said that specifically before. It's like the, the reflection has a purpose. It's never just like, we're going to reflect because it's what we do in school. You know, uh, it's like, we're reflecting because we want to know how this went so we can make it better or continue mm-hmm. doing the things that are going well. I really Absolutely. like that. Yeah. 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 And I think when we're able to model that to students and they see that we've taken their feedback to heart and we're acting on it, it's just a really amazing model of how students can make different decisions. You know, maybe they have a rough day And the reflection at the end of the class on choices they made, you know, is that they have a lot to improve on and didn't use their time wisely, et cetera. 
But when we can model that, it's also really powerful for students to see, you know, you can take that reflection and you can take action to to make something better and to improve. And I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so moving down the list here, how about the Metacognitive 360? Amy, you had mentioned this one to me, and I'm I'm feeling like uh, it's sort of similar to the Mario Minute. It's like a, a sort of a comprehensive, reflective review of how things have gone over a certain amount of time. Maybe I'm wrong. Can you describe the Metacognitive 360 to me? Yeah, I, I think it's just an idea. Like I'm always, you know, whenever I adopt a tool or, a, you know, even a philosophy or a, a framework like um, modern classrooms project, I'm always like, what's our big purpose? And my purpose always has to be to release as much control from my side of life and be and really be that facilitator. And the metacognitive 360 is just, it's kind of just something I thought of, like, I want this to be a circular, I even the setup of our classroom. Um, now in our eighth grade humanities is we don't have front facing uh, classroom, we have a huge community circle in the middle just to actually um, actualize that that feeling of a round process that that we are here to give you feedback, you are here to give us feedback. And, and we want to, you know, talk about, we're talking a lot about how students learn, but we even want to do that with what they learn and what they're interested in. And so yeah. it's just, it's kind of like in the ether, that metacognitive, everybody is involved in this process, that all the learners, the lead learners, and and the learners who come in every day. So what is the Metacognitive 360? Is it like a, I mean, is it a Google form? Do the students do it every week? Describe it to me. So I, I don't actually, if I went up to my students and said, hey guys, let's do Metacognitive 360, they'd be like, what? But I think it's all those pieces. It's it's the pieces of the feedback that we do. And it's uh, okay. our, our vibe, our philosophy. And I, I just like to call it that because it's like, it, that's our vibe as teachers. But maybe I should actually take it to the students as well. I think that would be good for them to hear that big purpose. We do share with them all the time the reasons why we do what we do. Um, but yeah, that's, it's more my kind of phil- big philosophy of teaching. I see. Okay. So there's not like a document you can point to and say, this is the Metacognitive 360. No, I totally made it up. But I, 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 did, from, <laughs> I did from an organization uh, that I'm really into right now. And if you ever want to check it out, it's so empowering. It's called Youth by Youth, and it's a it, it's a student led education advocacy organization. And there are some powerful TED talks on there from students who talk about what they want from their learning. And I, that's I got um, listening to one of their TED talks. It occurred to me that all they want is for us to listen and to be part of that co design process. And so that's where I was just sitting and listening to a TED talk on that channel um, on that resource, and and it occurred to me that metacognition isn't Sometimes we think of it as it's only the student's job, but it isn't. It's all of our jobs. It's it's the it's the the teacher, or I like to call us the lead learners, and and the and and they are the learners in the class, and we are sharing this journey. Got it. Okay. But I can make a do- I can make a document in my book that I'm going to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I wrote it, you know, with a capital M, the Metacognitive 360. I know. Now, I, now you're you're pushing me into it. <laughs> yeah. No, I really like that you've given all these names. Um, I just I didn't realize how much we like names. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's great though because it's got it's there's stuff for me to link, and I'm as I said I'm filling out the show notes, uh, and we're going to be providing a lot of resources that have been carefully developed by by this incredible teaching team here. Um, Okay, so continuing down the list, we have the seminar idea. What's the seminar idea? And I did write that with a capital S and a capital I, right? This is a name, the seminar idea. Yes, 
And and that actually is not my idea or and I didn't make that up. That is um, from Melanie Meehan. It's, uh, it, so Melanie Meehan is a, a, a she's a writer for the Two Writing Teachers blog, and she was interviewed on Cult of Pedagogy. And she basically, and I think it just fits so nicely into that idea of students choosing what they want to uh, be learning about based on what they're observing that they need. And this is a very brand new thing that we're trying in our in our humanities class. And basically, it's that we have, um, what we're doing is we're having seminar and workshop. And so seminar is when you have a big idea and you want to discuss it, then you, you um, the idea is that you will sign up for um, that one of those uh, discussion points. And then workshop is more like uh, things that you need help improving. So maybe you're writing an information piece of writing and you want to work on um, sentences or mechanics or whatever. And and we, we are just beginning this, but our vision for it is that kids are going to different seminars and different workshops based on what they want to do. And, and we can do that because everybody has something going on, which releases teachers to be able to help with those. And then finally, our final project for the um, the unit that we're currently in is is we want students to sign up to do a seminar in the class. So they will lead, they will create a hyperdoc. They will um, lead stu- other students through a, a, an idea that they're excited about in our unit. Okay. So I guess the way that this ties in with metacognition and reflection is that students have to consider which seminar to sign up for, and I guess which seminar to lead. Mm-hmm. Based on feedback, um, maybe like a piece of writing, for example, like we give or a peer might give some feedback on that. And so they'll go, oh, I actually really I, I'm really struggling with this one thing here or I actually want to really improve my uh, my word choice or, you know, how I'm how I'm doing a speech or whatever. And so you can sign up for a workshop and then, yeah, the seminar ideas, as you're listening to all these different ideas come out in the, in the unit that we're studying, what one is really sticking with you? Okay. And, and what do you want to know more about? So it's, again, it's that reflection piece on what you've learned. So we've used it as like choice-based small groups, essentially. So yeah. they're reflecting on feedback. They're also reflecting on, you know, their own opinion. For instance, I used this with my sixth graders a few weeks ago. They were doing some narrative writing. We were in the revision process and they came to a point where they needed to choose which seminar or small group they wanted to come to, they wanted to attend. And so they could choose, did they, did they need to work more on descriptive language to polish up their writing or did they need to work more on dialogue? And they had to reflect on which they were more excited about, but also which would be most helpful to their learning and sign up accordingly. Yeah. So, so this is very cool because this is that sort of reflection that I've, I've been struggling to articulate this. One of you did earlier, but there's a difference between reflecting on like, you know, your behavior, your time management, whether you were distracted, that kind of thing. And then like reflecting on the content you're learning and fitting the learning into your brain and your prior knowledge and all that. So this is very uh, content-based, very academic reflection. I guess more it's more metacognitive than reflective in a certain way. How do you structure the class then? Like, how do those seminars actually take place? So once they are given the opportunity to sign up for which seminar they'd like to attend, then essentially the whole class is working at their own pace on the car guide, which frees me up to lead a small group and pull them, you know, oh, a few students okay. at a time. So the seminars are not concurrent. They're, they're like one at a time. That's how I've done it so far. 
Yes. But however, in eighth grade, where Amy and I team teach also with a third teacher, we have run concurrent seminars, actually, just because there's more of us to move around. Right. You're you are running the seminar. So it's you can have as many seminars as there are teachers in the room, basically. It's it's not like the whole class is doing seminar day and there's like five different little small group things going on at a time. Yeah. So that that for this unit, that's our aspire to do. That is in the must do, should do, aspire to do. Our aspire to do is that a student will choose to lead their own seminar. And then the final week of our our, our quarter, we will have um, the kids present their seminars. And then other students who maybe stuck with the must do and should do will sign up to be part of those seminars. So everybody is going to continue that journey of learning, but it's going to be led by the students. Okay. Okay. And if the seminars are not concurrent, if they're one one at a time or one on a day or something, can students sign up for multiple seminars? Yeah, absolutely. If they want to, and also making sure they're keeping up with the rest of their work and are on track. Right, of course. Yeah. And again, that would take that reflection. Do you have time to do all of these seminars or do you need to just choose one? You know, so it's like going back to that idea of reflecting on where you are at and what you can fit into your time. Got it. Got it. Um, okay, I, I do have one last question before we move on from the seminar idea, which is what happens in the seminars? Um, can you describe maybe one seminar? So let's say, for example, I'm a student and I want to improve my note-taking, right? So I sign up for the note-taking seminar. What's going to actually happen when I go to the seminar? So everyone is kind of is working on the car guide activities in, in the bigger classroom and um, the, the team teachers. And by the way, you don't need team teachers. We are actually doing this because we want to. You can do this on your own as a, an individual teacher because the kids are all on the car guide working on what they need to be working on. And then I would announce to the class that I'm going to do seminar right now. And this and, and I, kids have signed up to be in that and you know, this group here, group one, you're going to come for seminar. And then everybody kind of knows that for that time, they need to use the other tools in class to seek help from each other. They need to be working on what they need to be working on because they know that I'm not available for that, for any, I love, any kind I of, I love uh, that. I love that. And so then, and then that's where that collaborative bank comes in. So they all know they've got, you know, people in the class who've been through some of the other activities and they can go and, and, and talk to them. And then those students are in a, what, what should just be about a 10 minute lesson. So I'm just trying to keep it to a five minute point and then, and then do that. And that's a skills-based one. But then if you have a bigger, like an idea, so our, our team teacher did one making connections between the transatlantic slave trade and issue, current issues and events today. And that one went a little bit longer just because the students were all so excited to talk about the ideas. And, um, and then as we kept going, the students were like, I didn't get a chance to do my note taking, you know, they, they were letting us know, like they really wanted to do these seminars and, and, and have their chance to do it. So it definitely was a hit having that small group um, feeling on something empowers those kids to ask questions and share big ideas. Right. Right. But it's not like I'm in this small group because I I'm behind on lesson four or something. I'm in this small group because I chose to sign up for it. It's in exactly, a sort of an authentic yeah. desire on their part to, yeah. to learn that and improve. Yeah, exactly. And it's elevated because I know that I'm not, you know, I'm, I hopefully won't be interrupted you know, by anybody else that I have that individual time with the teacher to get to really grow where I know I need to be because I signed up to be here. Sure. Yeah. And I love also what you mentioned, sort of to transition us into the next 
uh, tool here, the collab bank. I love the idea that students who are not in the seminar have to sort of, um, well, you have to sort of model how that should work. You know, they can't just goof off and do whatever, right? They're still in class, but they're not in the seminar. So they need to use their resources to continue learning on their own. Um, let's talk about the collab bank. So the collaborative bank is just essentially our version of a public facing tracker. And yeah, so the way we frame it, though, is that it's not really to necessarily keep track of where you're at alone, but it allows you to see where other people are working so that you can use them as a resource. For instance, Amy mentioned using the collaborative bank. If the teachers were busy with a small group or a seminar, then students could look and see who is slightly ahead of them. That might help them understand a question they have about the learning process. And then as well, we do try to fit in a lot of collaborative work. So uh, they can tell where they're at on the collaborative bank and see what other group of students is at a similar spot so that they can collaborate and work together on a learning opportunity. Yep. Yep. This is a very common piece of feedback that I give as a Modern Classrooms mentor, which is that uh, the collaboration part of the mentorship program is in the pacing module um, because you can look and I have my students do this. You know, I we have a public tracker that I just project on the board. Uh, and you can see where every student is at. And so I say, when a student asks me a question, I can look at the board and say, oh, well, you know, Johnny has already finished lesson four. Why don't you go ask him? Mm-hmm. Because he knows the answer to that. You know, and I I know as the teacher, like, is this a question that a student can actually answer for you? Can they actually teach you this? Or do I need to step in and sort of help? Right. And so mm-hmm. they start to learn. They start to look at the the tracker after after being turned away enough by me because I am busy doing something else and I know that there are students that can answer their question, they start to learn to just do it organically. And we've had lots of podcast episodes about organic collaboration. And so it's cool that you sort of formalize that into a specific tool. Like, uh, So the, the Collab Bank, what is it? Is it, a, is it a Google Sheet or something like that? Or is it a document? What is it? So I, I mean, I make a very, I mean, I've tried to do fancy ones and I'm just not that fancy. And so it's literally just a Google Doc with a table on it. And then the kids all have editing access to it. And like you, we project it and the kids will change the color of what they're working on. And uh, Brandy has a a paper-based one in sixth grade that she can talk about, but the one in eighth grade, we just projected up and then the kids, but the kids also have access to it. And so they, same thing, if they're looking at like, if we have um, in our hyperdoc included a collaborative activity they will go and say, oh, I'm going to, I noticed that we have green and blue. Green means you're working on something. Blue means you're done. And so they'll look to see the blue and say, oh, somebody's finished that activity. So I'm going to go and ask them instead of uh, put my name on the chat list. Okay. So in sixth grade, I have a paper-based version of the collab bank on my board, and it's broken down into the sections that my hyperdocs are broken down into. And that was based on feedback from the students because Sometimes when I originally had the collaboration bank just on the learning opportunity alone to see where they were at, there would maybe only be one part of the learning opportunity where I'd ask them to collaborate. And then they would get confused on, you know, was this person available to group with or not, because it wasn't down to the specific uh, part of the hyperdoc. So now it's broken down into explore, explain, apply. They move sticky notes and they actually you would kind of think it would break up their workflow, but it really doesn't. They're just in the routine. They get up, move it, 
head back to where they need to be. And it's allowed them to see very clearly who is working at, at a very, very, very similar spot as them and who they can group up with. Sure. That's awesome. That's really cool. And I, I really like, like I said, I really like how it's formalizing something that modern classrooms sort of encourages. Um, you've made it into a capital C, capital B collaborative bank uh, activity. I, I, really, I really like that. Um, we haven't heard in a while from Matilda and Casey. So I want to hear some, some more, get back to the elementary perspective a little bit. And several times throughout the podcast, you all have mentioned the chat list. So Matilda or Casey, can you tell us about the chat list, what that is? Sure. So the chat list is something I, I got from Amy when we were co-teaching together and we brought it into elementary school and it's pretty simple. It's um, just a, we do it on a whiteboard and as we're moving into self-pacing um, or even collaborative work, groups or individuals can write their name in order if they have a question um, that, you know, if they try three before me and nobody else can answer it or they need help, they can write their name on there. And then Matilda and I will help them in um, order. We'll both work the chat list and we help them in order. So it's a little bit like breaking down the playing field of kids holding their hands up all day, <laughs> you know, mm. and it's, it's, right. it's wonderful in that regards. So I, I tell my students with the chat list that I spent so many years waitressing to get through all my university stuff that anytime somebody puts their hands up, I feel like I have to bring them a hot coffee or something. So <laughs> I, I have this like rule, please don't raise your hand in our class. I love, I don't want that feeling of power anyway. I want you all to be working and, and engaged yeah. in something. And so the psychology of the chat list is, you know, you're going to get some help. So think about what that conference is going to look like, but also you can keep going on something because you have a whole car guide there. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Like the kids have their car guides. So um, when your name is on the chat list, uh, before we come to you, you have the car guide and you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing. So you can keep on working as we are checking on the kids on the list, on the chat list. Then by the time we come to you, um, you have done at least, at least some of the work on the, on the, on the car guide. So Matilda, what are the other activities on the car guide that they can do? Like if, if they're stuck on something, what else can they do? Uh, the car guide is pretty straightforward. They have um, a list of things that they, they haven't finished. And then it's for a whole week. Like if you have math that you haven't finished, then you can always go back to it and, uh, and finish oh. it. Yeah. And then it also shows them what is coming. Like, uh, for example, if they're doing literacy and next week they want to start on um, the hook, they want to start on doing the paragraphs and they want to start doing on the hook. So they know that next week I might want to start doing the hook. So it gives them an idea of what to expect for the next lessons also. And then the, we have this rule that says, uh, ask three before me. Like, if you don't know where to find the pieces of paper, that's not something you can come to us. You can ask up, just ask a friend and they can show you where to find your worksheets. Right. Certainly there's another student in the class who would know that. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is really cool. The chat list sounds like it's actually a very common sort of teacher routine, right? Where you have kids write their name up on the board. Um, I know a teacher at my school who would have that like a traffic light on the board where it's like, if you have an urgent question, put it in red. If it can wait, put it in yellow. And if it's just like a question for, Ooh, you know, um, that's a good one we can borrow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's a cool idea to sort of like have a hierarchy of the urgency of the questions yes. um, because then you can sort of triage, you know? Yes. It's just, it is just anything to, I, I think that 
when I see the chat list at first, it, it's all procedural, especially when you're yeah. introducing all this, like all these new tools in the model. It, it's a lot of procedural questions. And then that's when you're like, use your collaborative bank. Cause that's a process question. You're just asking where something is or what to do. But we really emphasize that the chat list really should be for it's, it's basically to design individual conferencing when the student wants to do it. Um, because sometimes I, I think in an eighth grade setting, and a, and a teacher sits down and says, let's conference. And the kid is like, I don't know what you even want me to talk about. Yet the nice thing about the chat list is they've gone through a process to think about a meaningful conversation they want to have with their teacher about something they're learning or wrestling with. And 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 that's what I like about it. And, and we really do try to encourage those questions that are procedural and routine based to be for other, like, you know, Matilda saying three before me, we have the collaboration bank, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I guess that's where the reflective piece comes in, right? Because you don't you you have you have to norm on the kids, you know, not writing their name on the chat list and then coming up to you and just saying, "I need help. I don't know what to do." Yeah, right. Like you you have to teach them how to ask a specific question, how to you know how to well to see the conference as a sort of a a meeting of the minds, right? Like we're going to talk about a piece of content here, um, and I think that that's that's really cool, right? They have to reflect and they have to think about what do I need help with? Where am I struggling? You know, so I can have a productive check-in with my teacher. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to just add to that, um, Zach, I had a connection. Everything we do is, you know, to get students to be better at self-directing their learning. Um, And part of the chat list also is allowing for those one-to-one conferences to happen uninterrupted because, you know, also for the privacy of the, the student you're working with one-on-one. Sure. So it is really nice to have two teachers who can work the chat list. So, you know, if the chat list, no one's on it, we're conferencing with kids, but sometimes we're also working that chat list because the kids need the conference, right? They're requesting it. Right. Yeah. But I, I really like this idea. I really like this idea of the chat list connecting to, to reflection that way. Something that I think about that, that, uh, the teacher who I was talking about, his name is Shane Donovan. He's been on this podcast before and talked about that, actually, the traffic light. And what he says is that at the beginning, students, just every question, they write it in the red part. Like every question is super urgent, urgent you know, <laughs> and you have to teach them like, no, we're going to think about how to formulate questions here. Right. Like and that is reflective. That is sort of thinking back on what you need and whether or not it's it's like dire that you, you know, ask your teacher a question right now. But I also think it even elevates it to the metacognitive level because then you're also thinking about you're you're thinking about the way you 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 seek help as well. And I think that's yeah. what I love about the chat list and 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 is that students begin to to feel more confident always because they know they immediately have a tool there and they're not just sitting there with their hands in the air watching the time tick by. Um, it, they have a, 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 a way to get help and that response is going to be there for them. And for some reason that it's like a blanket for them, it's a comfort tool. Yeah. <laughs> and one way that I've, I've kind of helped guide students to get to the point of asking for their own help and reflecting on their own learning is in a hyperdoc, typically the flow would be the explore section and then the explain would be a mini lesson video. And then between the video and where I'm asking them to apply their learning, which ultimately will end in a a mastery check, right? Uh, I'll put like a a stop sign actually and say, did you you know, do you feel confident in moving on to the apply section? If not, please put your name on the chat list 
and we can have a one-on-one oh, -on -one conference cool. before I'm asking them to step out and do something on their own. So that's how you norm on that. That's how you teach them how to use the chat list without thinking that every question is like a life or death situation. Right. And then it frees students up, to, you know, if, if they didn't understand the mini lesson, you know that, that there is another stopping point where they can get help besides just the, the video lesson. Got it. Okay. Well, we are going super long here because this is all such fantastic material. Um, and again, I, I want to direct our listeners down into the show notes for this episode. Uh, there's a lot there. Um, we have one more tool which you mentioned, Amy, I think, in, in the meeting that we had before this podcast recording, um, which I really liked, and that is the growth portfolio. So it's something that none of you have actually mentioned yet, which is interesting because this is the sort of the, the sleeper hit here at the end that was a surprise. Let's talk about the growth portfolios. What is that? So, yeah, it's I mean, it's not a new idea, right? It's it's the growth portfolio is something that where you, you see it. So I, I believe that a portfolio is not a scrapbook. And a, and a portfolio should show where you started and then where you went in that journey for whatever it is. If it's a piece of writing, if it's a, a, a podcast that you're creating, if it's a, an art piece that you're doing. Um, in fact, I used to use these in early childhood where you would have a child's first drawing at the beginning of the year and the at the end of the year and the brain development that goes with that is just so amazing. And so in a humanities context, this growth portfolio we use for the parent conference and so uh, just to avoid that idea of writing um, stale reflections that kids don't actually really own, they're just trying to say something to fill up a conference, we use the growth portfolio as the, as the showpiece that they're explaining their learning on, a, on, a, on our big content or skill areas. And uh, for an example would be they did a first draft of a personal memoir, and then they went, they had in there the, the single point rubric, they had some feedback from both teachers and peers. And then they talked about the changes they made and then showed that final product. And so it's just it, parents love it because it's concrete. They understand what they're seeing and students can really speak to their learning and that arc of learning that occurred over that learning, the unit time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well okay. So what is the growth portfolio like? Uh, I guess, mechanically, like, is it a Google Drive folder? Yeah, what? it's a Google uh, website. They make a website. Got it. They make themselves a Google site. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I like about this a lot is that, like you said, portfolios aren't exactly new, but the idea that the portfolio, you said it's not a scrapbook or it's not like a compilation of your best work. It actually includes your rough drafts and it maybe it includes your mistakes and it it's a growth portfolio showing that you've grown. I think that that's the key element here that makes this really interesting. And of course, that involves metacognition because it's thinking about how you have learned, what you have learned, how you've improved. Um, that's that's really, really cool. And it also includes feedback that they've been given by their teachers, their peers, and themselves along the way. So it's not just the, yeah. you know, the first draft and the final draft. It's all that feedback and reflection along the way. Yeah, it's sort of like manifesting the process in a in a tangible, well, I guess not tangible, but you know what I mean, like an actual thing that you can look at and read and see. Mm -hmm. And kids and kids just love the kids love narrating that learning arc. They'll sit there and tell their parents, like, at first I was writing, I mean, look at these sentences, mom and dad. And now look at what <laughs> I did over here and look at my, you know, vivid imagery that I used. And I really had to work on my title. And they love showing that. And it's just, it's wonderful when you hear a kid really feel like they made such an improvement on something and they know exactly what it was because they can show it right there. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Casey and Matilda, how about you? Do you use this in elementary or in fourth grade? We have um, a Google site for the students as well, where they are using some thinking routines to reflect on their learning at the end of the quarter. It also includes, um, we've just kind of introduced it. So everything's kind of a slow release with all these systems, right? And so, yeah, they've also taken pictures of some of the feedback that we've done. They, they self-select and choose. They make choices on what they want to um, put in their portfolio. And at the moment, it's only shared between Matilda, myself, and the child. Got it. And yeah, I guess like um, this feels very sort of high level. And so developmentally, it would have to look very different. Mm-hmm. I'm not experienced at all with, with elementary school. but So I can hear what Amy is saying. And I work with eighth graders as well. So I can just imagine what that would be like. Um, in elementary, I, I, I don't know. I feel like it would have to be a little bit more simplistic. Yeah. And I think um, when I walk into to Casey's room, because I love, I, I love walking into all, the, all of our rooms because I learn something every time that I bring back into my space. And one thing I love in Casey's room, like all that kind of like reflecting on that growth arc, which could be about a six week time frame that's really hard to do with a younger, a younger student. But um, having, a, like having those mini reflections are all over your classroom walls when you walk into Casey's room, like these big thinking questions. And then if you could see all of the, like in a way, that's the same idea. It's like the whole classroom yeah. wall space becomes that, becomes yeah. that growth. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I'm, I, like I said, I don't teach elementary, but I do have young kids of my own and I can kind of imagine that like as an eighth grader, you can take that thought process and make it more linear and show a, a sequence of growth. Whereas with younger kids, it's like, here's everything, you know, like, yeah, yeah. let's just look at it. Let's put it all up, all up over the walls and let's, uh, you know, not necessarily try and tie it all together. We've been reflecting, we've, we've seen the growth. Um, but in a, in a sort of a younger mind kind of way, like here is the growth, you know, here's everything. This is just all the stuff we've done. And that, 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 that also, I love, you know, of course, hanging up student work and showing it all on the walls makes the classroom feel like it's yours. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Well, this might take the record for the longest modern classrooms <laughs> podcast oh, wow. uh, before editing it down. It, it has, but it's just been so, so great to hear all of this. And I love all of the tools they have capital letter names and they're all down in the show notes i want to thank you all so much for this it's been i i appreciate you giving me as much of your time as you have today and uh taking us through sharing all these incredible resources so amy matilda casey and brandy thank you all so much for this it's just been a wonderful hour and a half to um to talk about this and hear how you use these tools to promote metacognition and reflection thank you all so much for joining me thank you thank you thank you Thank you. It was a pleasure. The pleasure was absolutely mine. Um, we're going to wrap it up here. So listeners, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org. And you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 119. And I do strongly encourage you to check those show notes out. We'll have this episode's recap and transcript uploaded to the Modern Classrooms blog on Friday. So be sure to check there or check back in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to access those. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week and we'll be back next Sunday. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. 
You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj. That's P R O J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Thank you.